Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. The deal here is that uh, I got into a little window uh, uh, this summer. I, and I don't feel led to jump back in the book of Hebrews just yet. Um, we're going to start fresh on a lot of things in September. So I, I, I just wanted to... Um, I just had this one week and I just asked the Lord, what would you like me to speak on? But it can't be out of Hebrews. <laughs> he goes, okay, well then uh, let's try Ecclesiastes. Um, and it has to do with something that I've been kind of going through. And in fact, I've noticed that a lot of people are going through this. Um, and so I just feel like I want to address this topic. And it has to do with depression. And so I want to read in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. For those of you who aren't depressed, this should get you there. So I know that I have a captivated audience. <laughs> the church of the bad mood. <laughs> Starting with verse 2 of chapter 1. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word vanity there, it doesn't mean vain, like people are vain. Um, it, it means futile. Futile or useless. So you need to hear the author saying, and he's saying this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's not saying it because this is an accurate assessment of things. But he's saying this because this is a common human sentiment. Futility of futilities. Uselessness of uselessness. All is futile and useless. Futility of futilities. All is futility. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? What do they gain? They all die. Six feet under they go. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises again. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and, the sur- and, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea never seems to be full. To the place where the streams flow, there they continue to flow. All things are wearisome. What the author is saying is this. Merry-go-round, merry-go-round, deja vu all over again. I'm getting tired. Do you ever feel like that? Same old, same old, same old. I'm getting tired. Another day, another night, another morning, another evening. Praise the Lord. All, all things are wearisome. More than one can express. I don't have words for how wearisome this is. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who came after them. Futility of futilities, uselessness of uselessness, everything is useless. I close my eyes only for a moment, and the moment's gone. All we see crumbles to the ground, but we refuse to see dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. If you weren't depressed so far, my singing should really do it for you, so now I have you. Here's kind of where I've been at just just recently. I'm going to show you my experience and why I'm kind of coming at this thing. I don't know if it's um, uh, end of the summer blues. Um, it's nothing serious. I don't want anyone calling 911 on me here or anything. But there's just, 
I've been struggling with sort of a, a restlessness, a frustration inside. I don't know if I'd call it depression, but it's kind of gloom. It's just sort of there. And, and I have times, like last night at the Lutheran Conference and Renewal, or Holy Spirit Conference and Renewal, it's Lutheran or whatever it's called. God showed up, and it was great, it was exciting, it was wonderful, and there's times like that. But for the last couple of weeks, there's just been sort of this, it comes and goes, but kind of this gnawing, gnawing, nauseating thing cloud, blanket, darkness. You get the picture. And maybe some of it has to do with it being August. I always get this way around August. It's like we're... At, I don't even want to say this. Words can't express how wearisome it is. But summer's almost over, and January's coming. And in Minnesota, that's got to get you depressed. <laughs> what do we do in the summer? What did we do? What happens? Like, where did it go? And it's just like, uh. And so August and September, I get most philosophical. You know, all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. Let's go to California, you know. Um, and you just kind of get like this. <laughs> I was only kidding. But you get this kind of blues sort of thing. But there's all the things that are going on. The Lord's just been dealing with me in some areas. Um, and I've had a kind of frustration. Some things about the church frustrate me. Um, we've been a year. See, I, I, I've been out loud about this. I'm not patient. You know, your gift is also, if you don't watch it, your curse. And my gift is being a visionary. I can dream dreams, and i got energy to go there, and I can motivate people to go there. But it can also be your curse, because you know what? I am, the, I am just really impatient. I see the vision, and it should have been here yesterday. And, and so I, I get anxious for it. And this year has been frustrating to me. It's been the most frustrating year, frustrating, they can't say it, I've ever had a ministry. You know, a year ago at this point, we're looking at failing, and it looked really promising. It's like, whoa, dream dreams. And I'm dreaming them like, man, big times. And we're thinking, maybe, 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 maybe. But then the door just kind of closed on that. Thank you, City of St. Paul. And that's a done deal. And man, it frustrates me. But that's okay. Something else will open up. Well, then there's Builder Square, and that looks really promising. Da 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 da. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And see, I'm more of a maybe than other people's maybe. So I'm thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe. But then that closes. And then we're looking at pillow windows and looking at that. And that's got possibilities, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? It's got half the parking space we need. The cost is beyond what we can afford. The deals we wanted didn't come through. And so God shuts the door on it. And this deflates me. It's like I get up, and then I get down. Then I get up, and I'm down. Then I get up, and I'm down. And so we're sunrise, sunset, wind blows. Ugh. I feel like I'm treading water, and I hate that feeling. And so there's a kind of a frustration about it. Now, I know, theologically, I guess, God is teaching us. God is growing us. God is building us. God is strengthening us. But that's not how I feel. I want to be there. And God's opening up other doors, and there's optimism here. We're looking at Roy Wilkins Auditorium as a possibility and some other things. And I'm sure it's going to be kicking when it comes. But right now, I'm at the end of summer, and it feels a little bit heavy, this frustration. And then the Lord maybe is using this thing as a time to just do other things in my life. But sometimes you get this introspective sort of philosophical orientation, and you ask questions like this. What is real? What's really real? Okay. Knock off the facades. Knock off the... Acting, what is real about you, Greg Boyd? And what real friendships do you have? What real relationships are there? Who is really there? Who's really on the inside? Who are you? Who is it that you don't have to put on for? And and what is real there? What is real in the church? One of the most annoying questions I've ever had is, is okay, is this really kingdom stuff? Or is this just us? Is this just fun stuff? And I know theologically, I know experientially most of the time that it's good kingdom stuff. But it's a, it's a good question to ask. What is real? What is real? Is this really kingdom stuff? But it gnaws at you. 
And then you start asking questions like, what kind of a parent am I? You know, and what's real there? What is really true? Look in a mirror. Looking in a mirror isn't always fun. And maybe I get frustrated too easy there too, and I shut, I shut off things, and I think things are hopeless when they're not hopeless. And, you know, and I deal with pain by, by blocking it out. And then you ask, am I really sold out to the Lord, or am I too much sold out to the American culture? Do I practice what I preach? To what extent do I practice what I preach? And it's just kind of stuff. You know what? And I know, and I can tell you, this is all good fertilizer stuff. And I hope you go through periods like this, because if you don't, you're not getting to the core issues of your life. you got to do this kind of heavy work. But it, it ain't fun. And sometimes it causes, it causes kind of a, a heaviness to, to come in your life. And that's just a real thing. Now we've got to deal with it. First thing I want to say about all of this is this. We've got to deal with it. It's, it's got to be okay. Being out loud with this. Amen? Probably there are some of you here this morning that immediately think, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh, you know, pastor's in trouble. Uh, we, we, we gotta, we gotta, uh, he's, he's sad. Sadness is bad. That's, we gotta get rid of the sadness. Let's fix him. We gotta fix him. We gotta do something. We gotta, you know, send him a pie. We gotta send him a letter. Uh, get him into counseling. Do something as quick as possible. Get out of this mess. It's like we're awkward with this. No, 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 wait. Christianity is supposed to be happy. This is not happy. Therefore, this is bad. And we gotta fix it. So they'd want, you know, have some kind of like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you read this book? Da, 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 da. And that's good. And sometimes there's good advice in that. But it's like we, we sometimes it's got to be okay with it sitting there and saying, you know what, let's just let it simmer for a little bit. Sometimes things just need to simmer. Others maybe are, are thinking, uh, you know, this kind of makes you feel awkward when the pastor says he's depressed. And so you think, uh, whoa, what kind of a relationship does, we, does he really have with Jesus Christ anyways? Uh, isn't Jesus Christ enough for him? Doesn't the Bible say that today is the day the Lord hath made and we will rejoice and be glad in it? My Bible says (laughs) Rejoice always and again I say rejoice What's wrong with this so-called man of God That he can't find the the joy and the happiness of the spirit No matter what's going on in his life And so you could question the person's relationship with God Don't you know that you're supposed to have the joy there And the power is there And you're supposed to be walking in victory And if you smile, people will smile at you And if you want to have a friend, you've got to be a friend And you've just got to give a little whistle, Jiminy Cricket And things will go better And always look on the bright side of life And you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da Come on, get up, 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 up. What, what, what is this? But you see, here's the thing. I don't see Jesus going around the uh, Galilee with a little flute and a clown hat saying, let's be happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. And it's just, I don't see him doing that. Let's have a happy club and, and bring on the clowns. Jesus had a heavy heart sometimes. It says he had a heavy heart. He cried sometimes. He, he had a burden sometimes. It wasn't for the stuff that I've got it for, but he had a heavy heart. And if he had it, in fact, the Bible says that God sometimes has a wearisome heart, a grieving heart, a sorrowful, a sorrowful heart. So if God and Jesus Christ were one and the same, if they sometimes have a heavy heart and, and are, are, are burdened, I think we're in pretty good company being okay with this. When we ourselves have a heavy heart and are somewhat burdened. In fact, see, the reality is this. The world is, to a large degree, a sad place. It is a sad place. It is a war zone, folks. It's sad. Relationships blow up. 
and people die, and kids, kids don't get raised with, with, with parents, and kids sometimes die, and kids sometimes get abused, and people fight, and people are believing lies all over the place, and they, they don't know Jesus Christ, or they reject Jesus Christ, and, and, and people do dumb things and destroy other people and hurt other people, and the world's got a lot of poverty, and, and, and 40,000 kids are going to starve to death today, and another 2 billion are going to go hungry. Doesn't this just get you excited? But the reality of the situation is that is the world. It's the planet Earth. It's in a war zone, and a lot of it is positively crusty. And if that doesn't make you sometimes a little bit sad, I think there's something wrong with you, Pollyanna. You are in denial. You, are, you, are, you have a facade, a fortress, a little pretend oasis of makeshift happiness, and you're calling it Jesus' victory, but it's not. The victory of Jesus Christ and the joy of Jesus Christ is never purchased at the expense of ignorance. God deals in the commodity of reality, folks. And the real world is a world that is hurting even for God. And if it's hurting for God, it ought to be to some degree at sometimes hurting for us. In other words, what I'm saying is this. Sadness is normal. Sadness is normal. And we shouldn't think that we're a weird, uh, aberrant, backslidden Christian because you've got it. Maybe even a lot of it. In a world like this, you're going to have it. You ought to have it. I worry about you if you don't have it. A certain amount of sadness is very normal. But, but, if it controls you, there's a problem. To have it in the end of August for a little time, that's normal. That's healthy. God uses it. You know, when we don't have a little bit of suffering in our life, we become calloused. Think about it. What softens us for ministry, what softens us for other people, is sorrow. It's pain. If you have a compassionate heart, you enter into other people's pain, and you're going to feel it. And that makes you even more sensitive. That is an okay thing, but if it defines you, if it controls you, then we got to talk about it. And the Bible has some things to say to us, I think, about how to, how to overcome that. This is what you'd call depression. When you lose some of your interest in living, when things that used to really be of interest to you, do you ever get like that? They're worrisome. It's like you're, you're bored with life. And a certain amount of that is normal. But when, it, when, you, when, you're not, when you're either sleeping too much or you're sleeping too little, you can't get out of bed or you can't even sleep when you're in bed. Something maybe is, is wrong. We've got to look at that. If you're sad all the time and you never can find happy moments or joyful moments, something is wrong. It's one thing to know that, that the world, it's an appropriate thing to be sad once in a while, but you're not good to anybody if you're always that way. That's so what we got to look at this. So you get lethargic. When, when, when the sadness controls you and begins to adversely affect your life, your job, your relationships, your walk with God, then there's something that is, is wrong and we need to address it. And that's what I want to do here this morning. I want to talk about a couple of things that I find. And this is out of the Bible and it's out of my experience. Things that help me deal with depression when it lands on you. First of all, number one is this. And this isn't everyone's issue, but it's my issue and maybe it's some of your issues. But I tend to be sort of like this. I, I look at uh, things going on in the world, and, and I want to do something about it. I want to help something with it, and, and I can't, and that gets me sad. But I need to do once in a while, more frequently than I do, I need to let go. I need to let go. I, you need to learn what you can control and what you can't control, what you can do something about and what you can't do anything about, and you need to let go of the stuff you can't do a thing about. It's really just admitting that you're not God and you're not the Savior and you're not responsible for the world. Know what you can change and know what you can't change. 
I can be sad over the fact that the world is a messed up place and there are kids that are hungry and I'm called to do something about it in my own little niche of the world, but I can't carry around. It would kill me if I tried to continually carry around the burden for that or the responsibility for that. That, in the end, is God's problem. And God's going to be the solution for it. Now, that doesn't mean I can just go willy-nilly and do what I want. No, he solves the problem through us, but it's his problem. You see the difference there. It's so important that we understand the difference of that. We need to relinquish stuff. Because we're not God and because we're not the Savior and because the world isn't our problem, you need to sometimes take a break. You need to sometimes take a break. In fact, I think a lot of Christians need to take a break. A lot of Christians are just too intense too much of the time. Sometimes you got to just say, you know what, there's a lot of crippled people out there I could heal and there's a lot of of things I could be doing and i got to save the world someday, but right now i got a wedding to go to and they're short on wine. (laughs) Jesus did that, John chapter 2. You know, there's a party there. This isn't like, you know, cosmic problems, you know. On the scale of world issues, this would not rate in the top million. But doggone it, that wedding host is going to get embarrassed pretty soon because he ran out of wine. So let's go to the party. Let's have a little fun, change some water into wine, and kick back. You know what? That is so important, especially when you're going through a gloom. To find a time to bracket the problems, bracket the issues, and just go out and dance a little bit. You know what I mean? Kick back a little bit. Amen. Sometimes, you know, in a marriage, marriage, married people, I'm talking to you guys. Do you ever get in these kind of things where you, you just stop communicating very well? And she, you say, nice day, and the person goes, oh, yeah? Why would you say something like that? And, you know, it's like, you're doing one of these things? The person, you're doing one of these things? And you just, and the more you try to fix it, the worse it gets. It's like swimming in quicksand, and you're drowning faster, and it's just not going anywhere. Sometimes, you know, you just got to call, call in the referee, blow the whistle, time out. Go out dancing. Go out to a nice restaurant. Kick back. Get by a fireplace. Have some fun. And just, you can't pretend like you don't have problems and forget. But just have a little fun together. It puts things in perspective. Amen? You're not God. You're not the Savior. The world will have the problems when you get back to it. So take a break once in a while. I think it's so good that as a church, you know, we're pretty intense and, and we're passionate. And we're going to out there to, do, you know, unite the church and save people. And that's great stuff. But I think it's so cool that once in a while we just do a 70s dance. And, uh, you know, it's not no intense ministry there. There's no ulterior motives. It's just fun to dance to 70s music. It's just a blast. Or, or in a little bit, we're going to do 50s music, you know. Get nuts. Get crazy. Let go. And that gives you a little bit of fuel, a little bit of perspective to deal with the problems that, that, that you're going through. So number one, let go of the stuff that's not your issue. Really take inventory. If it's not your problem, you can feel sad for the person or sad for the nation, but, but you got to let it go. you got to let it go. you got enough issues just with the stuff you can do something about, far from taking on the world that you can't do anything about. Number two and number three together. Shoot in two directions. Shoot in two directions in terms of coming against the depression or the sorrow that you're a part of. And, and if, if you're right now not in, in, in a depressed state, maybe you're just the happiest you've ever been, that's great. But still take note of this because I guarantee you that if you're walking with any kind of awareness for ministry, you're going to need this to minister to somebody else here. You shoot in two directions. You shoot at the natural and shoot at the supernatural, okay? There's two realms going on in everything, I believe. There's the natural stuff and the supernatural stuff. And you need to take seriously both. First of all, the natural stuff. In a state of depression or sorrow, whatever it is you're going through, ask the real question, what is going on in my environment that's causing this, and what can I do about it? 
maybe you and your wife need to sit down and really get some counseling or talk through some issues or you need to have a family meeting with your daughters or you need to adjust some things or maybe you need to confront the boss at work or I, whatever it is in your life that's making you miserable, maybe there's something you can do about it and you've got to take that very seriously. Don't hyper-spiritualize stuff. We Christians sometimes tend to do that. Oh, I'll just go into my closet and pray. Well, that's great. That is good. Do that. But God also gave us common sense for a reason. Look at what's going on around you and do what you can do. There's one case in the Bible where God told Joshua to get up off the ground and go fight. Quit praying about the battle now. Do it. So also, we don't wrestle primarily against flesh and blood, but we are flesh and blood and we wrestle in it, so we've got to look at it. Part of the natural that you need to shoot at is this. It may be the case for people who are chronically depressed that there's a, a, a chemical imbalance, a chemical problem. And, when I, and that's something you've got to take very, very seriously. I don't know where it came from, but there's some kind of weird stigma that it floats around in evangelical circles that if you are a real Christian and have a real vibrant relationship with God, well, then you aren't going to need medication for, for depression. Jesus will be enough. But see, if you have a chemical imbalance, that's kind of like telling a person who's hungry that if they just trust in Jesus, they won't need food. It's the exact same thing. There's, the brain is a physical organism. The brain is a physical organism. It needs physical fuel to do its phys- physical stuff. There's actually a center that we now know right, right around there that controls happiness, a feeling of well-being. And if the chemicals aren't shooting right, if, if the circuits aren't connecting right, they, they can feel happy about stuff. Look into the, the medical stuff. It, it, it's even a biblical principle. It's a biblical principle. The only kind of medication that they knew about in, the, in biblical times, the only anesthesia they had, uh, the only kind of mood-altering drug they had was, and uh, alcoholics, you can ignore me for the next three minutes, but it was wine. And it's a biblical principle that in moderation, all other things being equal, like you haven't taken a covenant vow at a college that you teach at that you're not going to drink it, okay? All other things, Bethel students, listen to this one. I'm talking to everybody else. And I am a Baptist, but hey, this is the Bible. David says in Psalms 104, verse 15, Thank God he's given us food to feed the stomach. Thank God he's given us uh, a water to, to quench our thirst. Thank God that he's given us wine to make the heart glad. Now that's David, and that's not me. I'm just quoting the Bible. I'm not even seeing whether I agree with it or not, but it is an interesting thought, isn't it? (laughs) Now, the Bible is uniformly against drunkenness, but in the ancient world, this was medicine. This was medicine. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you're fasting too much. You know, you're a pastor, and that can give you ulcers. Um, So, you know what? You need to kick back a little bit. Have a little wine for your stomach's sake, he says in 2 Timothy. In Proverbs 31, it says, give beer and strong drink to those who are in despair. But don't give it to kings, because they've got to make good judgment. Now, I don't know what you want to do with that, but it establishes this principle. There's nothing unbiblical about medication for depression. Now, that's all they knew back then. We've got a lot better stuff going on now. But if you're chronically depressed, it's something to look at. It's not what most people need, but it's what some people need. And we have a funny way of ostracizing the minority because the rest of us don't need it. It's okay to have that, okay? Prozac can be of God. Amen. There you go. (laughs) Hallelujah. At the same time, know this. Rarely is it only a natural condition. If you're a believer, there's an enemy out there who will at least seize the occasion to jump on you. 
Was that? Oh, good. 12, I thought it was 1207. I was going, whoa, 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 whoa. My watch is wrong. There will be, you need to shoot in two directions, the natural and the supernatural. At the very least, the enemy, we know, loves depression. He loves believers to be in gloom. He loves them not to be walking in victory. So if you have a propensity towards that, or circumstances are such that you just gotten that, or it's the end of summer in Minnesota and you're there, the enemy can jump on your back. If he's got any kind of reserves available, he'll say, sick him. So it is always a smart thing to shoot in the direction of spiritual warfare. Don't ignore the natural stuff. Do what you can do on a natural level. Do all of that. At the same time, know that there's, there's probably, at least frequently, a spiritual component to the whole thing. So in Jesus' name, on the authority of God's word, you've got to come against whatever, whatever spiritual forces might be there. And you just pray a little prayer like this. Lord, in Jesus' name, and get friends to pray with you too. In Jesus' name, I want to come against any sort of polluting, festering spirit that, that's jumping on my back right now and, and whispering lies into me and causing me to, be, to aggravate this depression that's there. At the same time, you take care of the natural stuff, but look at the supernatural stuff. Sometimes, that is the primary problem. There are cases of people who are generally well disposed, but for whatever reasons that has to do with the strategy of the war that's going on behind the scenes... The devil jumps on their back, or one of the devil's little minions jumps on on a person's back, and there's this depression there, and they don't know why. And stuff they used to not get depressed about now really gets them down in the dumps. And what you got to do there is spiritual warfare. I just talked to a lady two two days ago at this conference, and, and she for eight years was in and out of a deep depression, and she tried everything, and it didn't work. What was happening was a, was a spiritual warfare issue, and she had some people come around her and do a spiritual warfare thing, and the thing lifted. It just, it, there was something that had to get off her back. So, you look at the natural, and you look at the supernatural. Shoot in both directions. Take them both very, very serious, seriously. A fourth point, a very important point is this. Watch what, you're, watch what you perseverate on, or, or that means what you fixate on. Know that you are a spirit being and your brain is your tool. You are not the slave of your brain. You are the boss of your brain. The brain is your slave. As a spirit being, God gave you the mind as sort of your computer to interface with objective reality. Don't you love that? This this belongs to you. So take your thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. What happens is when you begin to get depressed, tell me if I'm wrong on this later, but... uh, what happens? Do you ever get the everything always syndrome? The everything, everything is bad and it's always been this way and it always will be this way. Do you ever get like that? You kind of like begin to globalize things. Everybody is mean. Everybody's unloving. There are no real Christians. Uh, my family, my, my marriage, you know, just sucks. It's always sucked and everything about it is bad. You know, it just gets, it, 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 when you're in a state of gloom, everything looks dark. When you're wearing dark glasses, the world's a very dark place. And so depression can do that for you. And it's so important that you get perspective. And what will give you perspective is reminding yourself about what is true versus what is false. Paul says that part of our spiritual warfare, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, is is coming against strongholds in our mind, whereby we come against every thought, every reasoning process, and every picture, every imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, what you know to be true because of who God is, because of the Word of God. You come against that in Jesus' name. And you take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. When you're in a state of gloom, Paul says this, Philippians chapter 4, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are beautiful, think on these things, concentrate on them. 
It's an act of discipleship, an act of discipline in the middle of gloom to turn your mind towards what is true and begin to think about God's word. I'm not saying pretend like you don't have any problems. La, 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 la. I don't have any problems. Don't do that. You got problems. They're there. Deal with them. But at the same time, don't be defined by them. Be defined by the word of God. Be defined by what Jesus Christ says about you. And I'll tell you this. When you turn your mind towards what is true, the problems don't go away, but they take on a different perspective. All of a sudden, they're not mammoth. They're a little bit, uh, they're, they're a little bit s- smaller. Tell yourself this, for example. In Christ, you are loved with an everlasting love. In Christ, you're the apple of God's eye. In Christ, you ravish the heart of God. He has a burning love for you. Uh, You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's robed you in righteousness. You're holy and spotless before him. You're his kid. You're his bride. You're his friend. You're his lover. And if that much is true, and it is because God says so, whether you feel like it or not, if that much is true, then life can't be all that bad, can it? I mean, if you're dying of leukemia, if this is true, well, then that's not all bad. You see, turn towards the truth and remind yourself about it. Talk about it. Don't pretend like you don't have this feeling of gloom, but turn your mind towards the truth and let that define you. You will not feel like that. Okay, because you're depressed. But just knowing that it's true puts everything else in perspective. Remind yourself of this truth, very important truth. Even in the depression, even in the suffering, God is working something out for your good. God, in everything, Paul says, Romans 8, 32, God is working together for the better for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Just know this, that God can use this, even this, as low as it is for fertilizer. Something good can come out of this if you'll just cooperate with God on the matter. I find this. My main cause of depression has to do with boredom. I, I just have, I get bored. I can so relate to this guy. You know, why, why can't the sun go a little different direction once in a while? Huh? Just to be interested. Why don't you just rise in the, in, in, in the east? Yeah, rise in the east and set in the west. Just to vary. Why not a little variety? Why not put the change of the leaves in the springtime? Uh, you know, why, why can't thunder go up instead of down? You know, just give us a little variety here. Everything's the same. And I understand that. You know, a routine just bugs me profoundly. Um, same old, same old. Where was I going with this thought? I'm not sure. Okay, here it is. <laughs> See, when you're depressed, you lose your focus. Okay, so, so oh, oh, here, here's what I thought. The thing is this. I find that when I begin to get really like down on that, it's because God is coaching me on to a new level. He makes me bored with the old, so then I'm motivated to go towards the new. You see what I'm saying? And it can be, if if all of a sudden church gets boring, it may be because I'm profoundly boring, true, but it may also be because God's moving you on to a new level. The old stuff bores you. You know what? It's time for a new gig. It's time for a new level, a new intensity. Begin to pray differently. Begin to witness differently. Ask God what it is that he's trying to do through you. And you might find that something really good comes out of this whole thing. Also know this. Remind yourself of this truth. That even though this war zone is, is a very sad place and, and there's a lot of stuff going on that just ought to make us at times quite sad, it won't always be like this. And God is going to win. Praise God. God is going to win. Amen. And sometimes, sometimes if you hit the wall and there's, you try to go up, you try to go down, you try to go around, and it's not going anywhere. It, you can get to this spot, some of you have been there, where it's like hopeless, 
It's never going to change. You really have got the always and everything syndrome. At the very, very least, you can hang on to this one truth. This is only going to last another 50 or 60 years at the most. <laughs> and in the scope of eternity, that's not, that's a flicker of a flame. Now, it's tough when, when death becomes the good news, okay? You're really low and I worry about you. But if that's all you got to hang on to, hang on to it. Just don't try to rush it along. The bottom line is this, the eye hasn't seen and the ear hasn't heard and it's never entered the heart of man the things which God has in store for, for those who love him. And the Bible promises, God puts his, his word on the line by saying someday he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. There'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more grief, there'll be no more hungry kids, there'll be no more people getting lost. God will win, he'll be enthroned, and in that day... We are going to experience him as he really is. We'll see him as he really is. He'll be in us and we'll be in him and we'll share in God's love and it will be ecstatic throughout eternity. How bad can life really be? Amen? How bad can it really be? Now don't use that as a cop out for looking into the problem of your marriage. But in the middle of everything, you've got that. Two final points. Number one, this is actually number five. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Listen to what the Bible says about this. God never meant us to be alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift the other up. You know what? We're going to fall, and that's why we need each other. We're, we're meant to carry one another to some degree. Don't try to go it alone. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. When you're sinking, pulling your hair up, if you're in quicksand, trying to pull yourself up by your own hair is not going to do any good. Because you're sinking. You need someone there who has a hand outside of the quicksand to pull you up. Sometimes, if you're too much in a rut, you can't remind yourself about what is true. You're just too down there. That's why we need a friend who's there to remind you about what is true. When you fall, someone is there to, to pick you up. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one alone keep warm? In the, in the cold of this world, we can give warmth to one another. And though one might prevail against another, two can withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The point of that is this. The Bible says one of us can put a thousand to flight. That's true. Two of us can't put two thousand to flight. We can put ten thousand to flight. The Bible says. When you have someone who's there with you, it doesn't just make the burden half as heavy, it makes it about a hundred times less heavy. God made us so our souls would be touching. You need a friend who is there, who you know will never leave you no matter what you say or what you do. A presence. We're made to touch souls. We're made in the image of the triune God. We are most human when we are replicating who God is. And that means our, we, we're one with other people. Now you can't be one with everybody, but you got to be one with somebody. And you will find just saying out loud the depression, just saying out loud the grief and the worry, even if the person doesn't have a clue as to how to help you, that's fine. Just sharing it with somebody lifts the burden. If you're in a situation where you don't have anyone like that, or if you're in a situation where maybe you need some advice on something and your friends can't give it to you, we, we have in place now, uh, the beginning is what we're calling a lay counseling ministry. People who have had some training who, can just, who are just called by God. They feel a calling in their life to enter into other people's lives and to be there for them, to enter into that non-judgmental, non-condemning, unconditional relationship with you so you can just say what is real there. 
Maybe they can help you get plugged into some other people. But whatever you do, don't go it alone. That's a prescription for disaster. God made us for one another. It is not good that a person is alone. The Bible says in Genesis 2. And the final thing, and the most important thing, and I saved it for last because it's also the most obvious thing, and that is this, having done everything we just talked about, don't neglect that. But you take the whole depression and you lay it at the foot of the cross. Amen? And you bring it to Jesus. It is so vitally crucial. As the worship team comes forward here. Worship team, I want to close with a song. It's so vital that you let Jesus in on the problems. You know what? Just discuss Jesus is when we dress up for him. And I mean by that when we put on for him. When we, when, when, when we, when we display for him. He's not interested in that. He's interested in the part of, he came to heal the sick, folks. Why pretend like we're healthy? (laughs) Let him in on the depression. Even when there's no friends around, or they don't understand you, human beings will fail you. Who do you turn to? You go to the rock. Sometimes all all life around you is sinking sand. The job is sinking, the family is sinking, your emotions are sinking, everything about you is sinking. When life all around is sinking sand, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been there. He'll always be there. You can count on him. Even if there's not a thing else in the world you can count on, you can count on him. Go to him. Cling to him. Let him define you. Amen.